Hey everyone, this is the first ever episode of Unverified Accounts. This is Chris, and what's up, Liza? What's up, Philip? Hey everyone. How y'all doing? Nice and early. We did it, guys. Finally, we are recording the the intro to to our episode. We've been recording episodes for, for I guess, the last month or two, just pre- mm-hmm. preparing for this launch, and we're like, well, we've been potting together for a lot longer than that. that yeah, 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 that's, yeah, I was I was just about to say, I almost said, uh, you know. Welcome to like Escape from Plan A. In case, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners are probably fans of, of that podcast coming here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and, and you either love us, you've loved us all these years. Hey, maybe you've even hated us and you're hate listening. You're we, hate, really you're we really don't mind. We really don't care. Um, it makes no difference to us, really. <laughs> also, special thanks to Bamboo, uh, the rapper, also known as Jonah Diocampo, whose song, Chairman Mao, uh, he's been generous enough to let us use as our theme song, which you just heard. So, Bamboo, thank you so much. Well, we're happy to be here, and it's probably a good way to start, you know, why we're here, uh, you know, explain our name and who we are in case you guys don't know. So uh, so why don't I just start? So, yeah, we are all kind of from the, the Plan A family. We all met through there. And then the reason we're starting this podcast is like Liza, Philip, and I, we've actually potted as a, as a team several times before on usually things like art and culture like Mm -hmm. liza philip and i we i think the last pod we did together was the one on ya books we did now it's the one on on, uh, netflix movies i think oh true true uh the one about never have oh my god that seems like so long time ago (laughs) yeah uh never have i ever ever liza's favorite movie the half of it and then (laughs) what was the other one Tiger oh, Tail. Uh, Tiger Tail. I, I, yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. That's that's how forgettable. Tiger Tail. Yeah, Tiger Tail, which came out at the same time as Tiger King. Yeah, that was unfortunate uh, for and them. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then before that, we did one on on YA books. We talked about Marie G. Lee's books. Uh, Patron Wen Saints Yang's, of Nothing by Randy Rabai. And, and Randy mm-hmm. Rabai's Patron Saints of Nothing. And then uh, several months before that, Philip and I we did an episode on um, Frankly, Frankly Love, in Love yeah. by yeah. David Yoon. And uh, I'm sure we did. I mean, we've been potting for like three years now, you know, so <laughs> I'm sure there's more we've done but before, but that was the most recent. So how are you guys doing this morning? Good. I'm it's all early. right. I'm good. I'm a morning person. Yeah, well, you have kids, so it's a little bit different for you, I think, right? Whereas I've Chris always is telling been a morning like, person. I don't know what it is. Really? Yeah. Because Chris, you said you like sleep at 3 usually, 3 a.m. Yeah, and thanks so, to this pod, I've, I've been... I've been forced to become sort of a more <laughs> morning person at least on the days we record which i think is ultimately good mm-hmm. because you know staying up late it does waste a lot of time in, i think because you're, ne- you're never doing anything productive at like 3 a.m usually you're gonna look like you're 460 years old if you keep a very late schedule oh is that so i don't want to i, I want to look young forever I don't this is how you guys happen. consume like so many books and movies and i'm having a hard time keeping up because liza's like watching five movies before Chris wakes up and Chris is watching like five <laughs> movies, you know, before like we're happy to sleep. It so. is a routine for me. Like this is, um, I probably consume about two or three movies every single day. You know, like the minute I wake up, I can start turn something on. I usually have like, I have like this running list, like my little notebook where I write down all the movies that I want to watch or rewatch. And then I will just, uh, I don't know. I kind of journal everything. It's been like a, and I guess I was raised like this, like um, not with the journaling part, but just watching movies. Cause my dad was definitely, is definitely a movie buff and has been since I was a little kid. So I don't know. Wait, hold on. You're saying you, t- you take notes when you watch movies? 
Um, yeah, I usually like take oh, wow. notes and I usually like wow. keep a little journal. It doesn't look all pretty like some people's like bullet journals or like their like bookstagram. People keep bullet journals but, like, on no, that's the just some fake shit. That's, you know, a real <laughs> journal should be like messy and it, well, it might is messy. and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll like write down some notes or like some themes that I want to think about, you know. So for the listeners, Liza, you said you you were trying to change your tagline to like the person who has seen every movie ever. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I wanted my tagline to be, um, I know every single thing about every single movie ever <laughs> yeah. made. And I say that with, I say that very humbly. <laughs> hey guys, before we go any further, I think uh, we're, we're still in this mindset that we're, uh, we should introduce ourselves because I think yeah. some of you might not know who we are. So before we, we go on any further, I'll just say, my name is Chris. Um, some people might know me as Oxford Condo, as one of the founders and creators of Plan A Magazine and, and the Escape from Plan A podcast. I live in New York City, and uh, I'm not a professional podcaster. Uh, I do have a day job and everything. But what about you, Liza? Uh, I'm a blogger. Uh, I for uh, Some people know me online as Aesthetic Distance, and that's the name of my blog. It's also my name pretty much across all all social media platforms. Um, mostly, I'm active on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I also used to have a, my own podcast called the Aesthetic Distance Podcast, which is still up. And I write mostly about culture and politics. Chris, you, you've uh, you've guested on the Aesthetic Distance Podcast a couple of times, right? Uh, I think at least once to talk about the uh, my. Uh, I wrote the, this article. Let Game of Thrones be white, something like yeah, that. Let- yeah, mm-hmm. let Game of Thrones be white. I think that we did. Yeah, yeah it was like a um, it was the podcast version of an article that you wrote that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I have also been on several uh, panels at book festivals. Cool, right? Because Liza, you you help run that, and yeah, you've been nice enough to invite me on a couple of panels. Love, always love going to Baltimore. Been there, I guess, like two or three times now. So, <laughs> yeah. we still have to get you some good crabs. What? Oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> that, that felt out of context. Um, so I, I'm Philip. I'm the the third member here. I'm kind of the uh, the odd one out. I'm like not the one who's consuming as many books or movies. Um, you know, I, I'm part of the Plan A family. One of the founders. I mostly talk on tech uh, on that podcast. Um, though I hop between topics too. Oh, you talk about a lot of other things too. Yeah, but I, actually, I think the the um, the the po- the episode that like got me more into like talking media and how it relates to Asian Asian identity was um, the Frankly in Love one that we did, Chris. That was really good. Mm. Uh, and then since then, I've been pulled into more and more stuff. And you know, like Eliza, you may not remember, but we did an episode on Ugly Delicious way back. I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was that, so long time ago. Out, so. Yeah. So there's been a bit of it, but that's kind of fun because I, I get to be like the um, the kind of uninformed opinion who comes in and like ask questions and stuff. So that's kind of where my, my head's at with this pod. Philip, you mentioning the Frankly in Love podcast makes me a bit wistful because we did that in person. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't think we'll be able to do that. I mean, not only because of the coronavirus, but we're also all in different cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, uh, maybe one day we will have, I don't know, like some kind of live get together maybe, but <laughs> we'll have to do it remotely. For the for the for the time being, three years from now, yeah. <laughs> oh, we should probably explain our name. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, unverified accounts is just a reference to you know just like social media, as you you probably would have guessed, and you know with, with our logo, I guess, being an upside down check mark is a reference to I guess the the tyranny, I suppose, of verified opinions online. And I think that, I mean, to... I think it gets plenty of 
of um, it gets plenty of discussion online where people with extremely large followings, people with blue check marks, often have like especially recently have become some of the most untrustworthy names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over over index over weighted opinions. To yeah. Some extent. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they all just only gatekeep for each other. And right. they've even, they even have, some of them have taken it upon themselves. So when they're debating someone, they'll just be like, oh, okay, so-and-so who only has like a hundred something followers, <laughs> really? you know, uh, as if is, their large following so gives them, you know, more credibility. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's essentially the, the social media equivalent of like someone in middle school, like laughing at you because you, you wear the Kmart sneakers and they got the, they got the Nike sneakers, <laughs> uh, except these people probably fancy themselves as like intellectuals or the they definitely elite. do. Yeah, because yeah, they have sixty thousand. They have sixty thousand bots. Tastemakers, right? or you know. <laughs> you all remember that hilarious New York Times article, right? That outed the people who had bought the the followers. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, oh yeah, you know who was on there? Thing. Um. Oh I yeah, that so was like that... Mace went from like the rapper Mace went from like four hundred thousand to like four hundred followers. <laughs> That's just sad, though, right? Something I mean, like that, and he just yeah. deleted his whole account rather than wow. face the humiliation. <laughs> Look, I got nothing against Mace. I, I really, you know, because like he's he's been through some shit, so you know that's that's. But you know, like somebody who does actually try to, you know, try to sway public opinion and, and right, all that these for, days, yeah, yeah. Because I remember someone from the story. He had been like a gold medalist in I don't know canoeing or you know some like obscure Olympic sport, and he mm-hmm. kind of didn't know what to do after because he can't really go back to being he, he doesn't have any like real job training that he can go, fall back on so mm-hmm. he kind of wanted to parlay the gold medal into i guess some kind of online celebrity like a brand yeah, yeah i was like oh that's kind of sad you know because and you know he yeah. doesn't like some people like that i, I don't want, i don't wish harm on those people because <laughs> uh, i wish harm on other people but not, not <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who have blue checks and people who look at those blue checks and like they don't realize that outside of like an NPR tote bag or like Elizabeth Warren stan or like suburban wine mom crowd, like everybody fucking hates them. Or, or mm. even worse, nobody even knows what they are. Like why they're famous, just they just have a blue check so they just trust it. Yeah, and like in the big scheme of things, even like having a hundred thousand followers on Twitter doesn't really mean much outside of Twitter because mm-hmm. most people aren't on Twitter. Twitter is this very weird uh, social media platform that I mean, it even has its own language. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, I kind of waffle back and forth these days between like thinking what I see on Twitter that's been like heavily liked and re- reshared as like relevant to discourse and like what's happening, or if it's like actually just tempest in a teacup, you know. Yeah, it, that's always the debate, right? Because it's the, the instinct is always to dismiss social media sure. until you know it, it like punches you in the face in real life. Then, yeah. then you go overboard. It's I mean, forced. that's kind of what happened with with Trump and and whatever. But uh, let me let me share you uh, something that happened to me a few months ago. That I, I've actually pulled back on social media, uh, particularly Twitter. It's it was yeah, it's the only platform that I really use, and uh, it's not like I'm a prolific tweeter or anything. But mm-hmm. I haven't been doing it much and the reason why was I, for whatever reason i was like reading my own tweets and i realized i like man these are really annoying <laughs> I, my own tweets annoyed myself and i was like god damn it like what am i doing with my life i got i got other stuff to do you didn't you know, delete, to read, you didn't delete your watch, account so. right like you didn't we should have a we should have by the way we should have like a 
uh, cringe sesh where we just like read our shitty tweets from a year, two years, <laughs> from ago. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm afraid. Like, because I I got Twitter first. I guess this uh, is when why you know it'll be entertaining, planning. man. It'll be entertaining. Uh, it, it, it so it's like late 2017. Oh dear God, like. I don't want to... All the lame jokes you make on Twitter. Everyone's a fucking comedian. Everyone's got to cash in on the latest, uh, you know, political buffoonery with their <laughs> with their quips and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I was, as I said, I was like disgusting myself. So I was like, I got to pull back. That's interesting because I actually, um, I think I told you guys this, I've, I've never really had an Instagram account. I had one like way back when it started and I forgot the password. <laughs> um, but just like a couple of weeks ago, I, I made an account, um, but solely for the purpose of like, figuring out what's going on food-wise in Toronto. So, like, th- there's this uh, new Korean-French bakery that opened up near me, and they only communicate over Instagram. So, like, in order oh. to figure out when they're dropping their croissants, I have to be on, on Twitter or Instagram <laughs> to find out. This is the um, whole reason that you joined. Yeah, and then there's also this, like, this Vietnamese pop-up that's been happening uh, this summer, and, like, the, I can only find out when their next pop-up is on Instagram. So I have it just for the purposes of, like, getting food, getting fed, and literally nothing else. Don't ask me to follow you. I'm not going to follow you. <laughs> Uh, that's it. And that's always been social media for me. It's just even Facebook was like, it's like a tool, right? Like, especially coming from tech, it's just like, this is a tool. I don't want to get sucked into it. So I have a very different opinion, I think, um, of these things. But Twitter has really sucked me in, actually, just in the last year as more than a tool. Weirdly. It can. I feel like Twitter is the one platform where I will just like, um, I will just zombie out and just start scrolling and reading. It's terrifying me a little And then bit, realize yeah. that like an hour has gone by. See, the trap with Twitter these days is I think it's the only social platform where you can maybe halfway convince yourself that you're being smart or something because Facebook at this point is just the dullards uh, platform. Um, Instagram, it has a reputation for being you know really shallow and everything. But, but Twitter, you can convince yourself you're making political commentary or cultural insight. And that's how, that's how <laughs> they, they trap you. Even though like... It does have a toxic reputation, but it's like it's not the same as Reddit because if you tell someone you're on Reddit, you, you know you kind of you kind of ashamed because they'll think you're just some basement dwelling virgin. That's like well, the definitely if you're a guy, yeah. yeah, right. Uh, but with Twitter, uh, especially with a certain crowd, you 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 can come off as even literary, and that's how yeah, they yeah, suck yeah. you in. Well, yeah, because yeah. all the book people and all the reporters and all the you know all the journalists, they're all on Twitter, right. And, you know, tw- Twitter is just as shallow as, as the worst of, you know, as like TikTok, but it, you know, you can still, you can still convince yourself, oh, you know, my, my, the three hours I spend on it, I can pass off as Because as you do have to craft, time. you do have to craft a message, like, you know, language still matters, words still matter on Twitter. And it's the only platform where like, your looks don't matter as much. Right, don't right. matter at I thought, all. I thought you were going to say your looks don't matter. I'm like, I doubt that's true. But yeah, it's true. As much, definitely true. Yeah. I mean, we trash these platforms, but like realistically, they're pretty influential. Even Facebook, like that's where all the Trumpian shit's happening, right? So you, and also all the yeah. like, all the like Sato Asian, you know, um, uh, groups that like we can call them just trash, but like they're influencing a lot of people. So we, we're going to, we're going to dig into them for sure on this pod. Do you think it was like a total mistake for all of these? super right winger people to get deplatformed and like or just like for all of their own websites like stormfront and everything and like all the their groups on reddit to get kicked off because then they all flooded to like twitter and facebook um like wouldn't it have been better if they just had their own place like like people like us are never going to go to stormfront 
And like a lot of normies would never go to Stormfront, but now they're all over like Facebook and like people don't know who they are. So they like retweet them or they like share their posts. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Like they're, they're digging more into the psyche of like average Americans because they're, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I wonder how much that has contributed to like the moving further right. Probably of as, the as country to, like, as a whole, them on their little island, wouldn't it, right? yeah, wouldn't have been so much better to just yeah to keep them in their own little like secret cave where like <laughs> normal people just don't go. Well, see, actually, here's the thing: like, like I have the type of personality where I do want to know what's going on in every corner. I mean, to, to a reasonable mm-hmm. extent. Um, so you know, when I was like in in high school, I do remember occasionally going to a place like Stormfront just because I wanted to know what was going on there. To hate um, read. Yeah, or or kind of like Oppo research um, uh-huh. on on Reddit. I'll go to some place like Kotaku in Action, which is they call it the unofficial GamerGate site, just to know mm-hmm. what's going on there. Uh, and I think the danger of deplatforming a uh, place like say the Donald is that you can't keep tabs on them anymore. I mean, who knows where they go? I'm sure they'll wherever they'll go. Like I think there's a place called like Gab where they try to. I think it was like right wing Twitter or right wing Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody was talking about that because um, I saw this, I saw this discussion on Twitter where they were just like, is there any other place besides Twitter or Facebook or Instagram? Like, why do we all have to like support these, you know, why do we, we have to support these platforms? And then somebody else brought up like, well, there are alternatives. It's just, you know, the horrible people are there. It's right. all the right wingers and, and the white nationalists that went there. That's why, right. like, the normal people don't want to go. Yeah, and I, I can see why people would argue against because, uh, like, you don't want some lost soul just like I don't know one day on the the NFL subreddit or something accidentally or like going very into the young Donald. impressionable <laughs> kids. Right, and I can see the that whole like rabbit hole argument who are but, like uh, trying I, to avoid their parents' eyes on social media. Right, right, right. They end up um, on these alternative platforms and like. You know, they don't realize they're getting radicalized. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't really know. Um, and I think that's, you know, a total, like, we can do multiple episodes on, on that topic because I, I think that's a very good question. And nobody really knows the answer. And anyone who know, pretends to know the answer is full of it. Okay, so uh, uh, perhaps we should now segue into the, the, the heart of the episode. So the way we're going to try to do this is we're going to essentially have two parts to every episode. The, the first part will be us commenting on, you know, the latest um, dumb shittery or whatever that's happening in the real world or online or even in our personal lives. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second half, you know, or two thirds of the episode will be us mainly talking about movies or maybe even even a book. <laughs> the way I said that. No, a book or... or Eliza hates TV ever shows, since, so we probably Ever wouldn't. since you said... No, if you guys do TV shows, like you're gonna have to get a guest. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm staying with my anti. Yeah, if movies are the new reading books, it's gonna be really hard to talk about books, and the audience can actually follow along, unless it's like a particularly like, I don't know, unless it's a book that you've read already. <laughs> well, Garfield. one that is like enough of a big deal, you know? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there will be there will be a, like a blockbuster book that does come around. True. You know, like everyone's always trying to find the new Harry Potter or <laughs> something. So the so the way we'll work is we'll you know we'll pick like a, a movie that we think is relevant to a broader discussion, and then we'll use that movie or movies or or as I said, book as a launch pad to talking about that issue. So for this episode, uh, we we didn't pick uh, a certain 
we didn't pick a particular movie. We just talked about media representation in general and how, you know, especially this year, like the whole media representation argument has, it was already becoming kind of dull, but particularly this year with everything that's been going on, it seems more irrelevant than ever. Yet there is also a critical uh, importance to it. The whole, the reason why it gets people so impassioned. So that's our discussion. Um, unless you guys have anything to add, I think we can just move on. Give it up. Mm-mm. All right. Enjoy, guys. All right. So media rep. Uh, you know, it's a it's a topic that I don't think only Asian Americans. I think a lot of minorities have been very focused on. Uh, usually, quite recently. And you know, I will be lying if I say that. You know, I've I've never cared about it. I mean, the first thing I ever wrote for you know Plan A was all about Master of None, and I think most of my mm-hmm. articles have focused on it. But I do think a couple of things have happened. Um, I think firstly, a lot of goals that minority groups uh, set out to accomplish with Media Rep have been accomplished, and now we see that it hasn't done much. And secondly, obviously, all the shit that's happened this year with with like the coronavirus and the you know uh, police brutality protests have uh, put a uh, just put things more in perspective. Plus, the fact that no movies or shows have come out recently have you know killed that dialogue a bit. So, I think the question in a lot of people's mind is: as much as say in like 2018 or 2016 or 2014, does media rep even matter anymore? So, uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts. Hold on. So, when you said that uh, it's it's been you know, they met all their goals, like what were the goals and like what? I don't, I don't know if that's actually true. So, what, what do you mean? Well, by I'm talking that? about like, like a Black Panther or a Crazy Rich Asians, like oh, like getting, getting your big blockbuster, like you know, and having like it succeed uh, with, with financially, like a all black yeah. or all, all Asian cast, uh, things like that. I guess right. we haven't seen one for Latinos. Um, I guess they're they're up, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. We have it, and I agree with you because I think that like media rep tends to be the, um, it tends to be like the gateway point for a lot of people to become more aware of like Asian American um, social issues. And a lot, some people just like are stuck there on that one topic. And then uh, hopefully a lot of people, they enter through that topic and then they, um, they go deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's always Precisely. like, they're always and they like, get more critical. They always start off with like shallow social issues, right? <laughs> like, you know, Real, yeah, really shallow. Yeah, yeah, like very personal likability. But I politics. mean, I think that the whole media representation cool? thing is yeah. shallow itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's why I, I will never say that media rep is not important because it is uh, an important entry point, like you, uh, Liza, said, especially mm-hmm. I think for issues that are uh, kind of hard to quantify. They don't show up in the data. It, it's a lot about. Uh, just your everyday existence. And I mean, what, what Media Rep is really good at, at highlighting is um, that these these pro- it, these are not just you. This is big. And it's it's big enough that it'll show up in a major like Hollywood production. Like so many people are involved in this project and what you feel like, you know, whatever prejudices or, or biases you think are against you are so real that they, even in, in this like multi- level edited uh you know it's gone through like committee after committee of of people like proofreading and editing it it still shows up in the end uh result for everyone to see and therefore your experiences and feelings are valid so you know you don't have to keep gaslighting yourself it's very valuable in that regard only problem is when people just uh get too obsessed with uh thinking you know just change a few of the castings and and like missions accomplished Uh, a thought i had recently was that actually 
Media rep is useful, but only when it's bad media rep, because then it then you can critique it and get people to do something. The worst thing is is like media rep that actually satisfies everyone, or or like the people who are, uh, you know, who have righteous complaints, because then because then they just get placated. Wait, well, when you say the the best thing, do you mean like, I'm sorry, the worst thing? Do you mean like um, nothing comes out of it, like no conversation, yeah, it's, no it's, social conversation, no political conversation comes out of it? So it's kind of a worthless piece of art. Yeah, it's when media rep becomes like a turns itself into the to the end instead of the means, and it turns into a trap. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think for like because of what we said about you know like social capital being the perp, like the thing that online or Asians care about, right? Asian Americans care about with media. It is important to have um, more of the kind of like good representation, even if it doesn't get talked about. Because the point, I think, the, why, why we're so ravenous for good representation is because we, we want to dilute all the bad shit from the past, right? We want to dilute like, um, you know, the characters from like Breakfast at Tiffany's, I forgot the character's name, or Mr. Yumi Dong, right? Who's barely in the yeah, book, exactly. by the way. If, if anyone's read the novella, He's barely in the book. He's like mentioned right. twice in the first two but, pages. But the image of those characters that had such a long lasting impact on the lives of people, you know, Asian Americans, that they want to dilute that shit with just like fucking normal Asians or Asians who just aren't falling into those tropes. And so it is useful, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bring up any kind of interesting political conversation. Right. It's useful just to have that image out there and, and implant it in people's brains so they don't think, oh, everyone's a fucking weird nerd or like a strange, like, you know, uh, perverted neighbor or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, I mean, th- this uh, pod idea was spurred by uh, a great article that um, Karen Shibuya wrote for Plan A Mag earlier this year called uh, COVID-19 and the End of Boba Liberal Media. And it brought up good ideas about how how quaint you know, it seems that the, the old fights over, um, you know, who, who gets cast in what, uh, especially uh, during, I mean, I, I think the, the I don't know. I, everyone's kind of in a weird state right now where we're used to the coronavirus. So, so like the anger over it is much, it, it, there's a much more like resigned attitude to it, mm-hmm. but more like in, in March and April when people were much more, you know, amped up about it and, and all the like anti-Asian stuff was really coming out um, just like really blatantly. And it was, it was uh, more on the news than it is right now. You mean like the violence and the like, like the violence and just the, the you know, the xenophobia yeah. and, and all that. It's still um, happening, so, right? We just, maybe they got tired of reporting on it. So you see lots of it unless you're looking for it online, but it's still happening. Yeah, it's still happening. But when that came out, I, I, I more Asian Americans were, were felt mobilized by it. I mean, to, to the extent that we can be, we are mobilized, ever able to be mobilized. And, and in, the, in the background of that, it just seemed, you know, the, the, these are casting issues or who's directing what or who's writing what it just it just fell to the to the wayside right so that's a good article i suggest people read it yeah also there was that big win right right before coronavirus we had parasite win um you know up like big time at the oscars and so people were all kind of uh uh super happy about that moment and then this this came down and so often people will point back to Parasite winning at the Oscars is like the big highlight right before coronavirus, right? For Asian Americans. It, it brings up an interesting point, that whole Parasite conversation, because I was like, oh, okay, well, it's it's like really, in, like, it's a great movie. There's, you know, I don't, I don't know if you would call it positive representation because everyone is kind of shitty in that movie, right? But it, at least it... I think that's positive. It's positive in the sense that it depicts us more than just like tropes, right? And stereotypes. Well, it's, okay, the reason why the positive representation versus negative representation doesn't come into place because everybody's Asian. Right, right, right. Like if we made, if we made the, um, if we made the 
say it was like it took place in the US and we made the rich family the like white and we made like the poor family Korean. Mm-hmm. We would I guarantee people would have some shit to say about that dynamic. <laughs> now flip it and people would still have some shit to say about that dynamic because there's no satisfying it if there's other races involved. Like there's no winning the good the positive representation um argument any other yeah, way. Right. Uh, what is it? Uh, that would actually be a fascinating movie if Asian Americans could do it. Honestly, though, could you imagine like a parasite with like a rich white family and a poor Asian family, and all the, as I said, if the director had as much guts as if the you know the parasite crew had, but you know with with like you know Asian Americans, it wouldn't it wouldn't end up like that. But that would that would be a fascinating story. But uh, Philip, to your point, when I say like good representation, I don't mean like see, I I think the worst representation is is the one that really flatters all uh you know minority (laughs) groups insecurities and Mm -hmm. hang-ups about being you know asian or black or latino i i i think that's the worst representation which uh will get lauded by most critics as good representation because it it, because it'll be oh this is the movie i i needed to see when when i was a kid because you know my my self-esteem was low and i get that to a point like i don't want to make you feel when that what's the new um the new marvel movie where there's like that asian superhero and it's played by that guy yeah, it's going to come then. I'm not looking forward to that movie. It looks really <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that been the basis of, of most of a major Asian-American thing, whether it's like Crazy Rich Asians or, you know, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. It's it's all flattering this, uh, often this this uh, gulf that Asian-Americans felt when, you know, we were growing up. You know, I wanted the Asian equivalent of a um, pretty woman, I guess. Although, although, you know, comparing Crazy Rich Asians to Pretty Woman is not quite accurate, but you know, you know, or, or like the teen movies. I, I wanted my own Asian American teen movie, that kind of thing. Um, I, when I say like good media rap, I actually want things that are very honest and can be quite unflattering to the to our groups because that's that's I think the only way you will grow. And when you say I needed to see this when I was a kid, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you just needed to see uh, like either a figurative or literally like a, like a comic book version where you're the hero and, and you get to like conquer all. No, sometimes you, you need some of some of the you know, darker stuff explored and a lot of the mainstream media rep projects uh, don't, don't examine that. And I, I think one of the worst cases of this is something like Black Panther where, I mean, and it was really disturbing and, and kind of sad to see a lot of, um, a lot of like black people be, be so proud of like Wakanda as like a triumphant, african nation when it's not real and that's the mm-hmm. only thing they get because nobody is going to green light a movie about actual uh africa you know and, and you know everyone still thinks like it, it or not everyone but a lot of people still think that it's just a safari and there's like no uh you know economic advancement or or, or, or anything there which is totally not true or you know african history which also is very rich and lots to learn from but instead you get you get fantasy africa and, and that's what you have to settle for and that's i think one of the worst examples of media rep mm-hmm. yeah it's all the stuff that yeah all the stuff that we consider to be horrible media rep is um yeah by cultural elites they will see it as positive yeah and and it's also in their interest to to conflate their own like career advancement as as a broader civil rights uh issue you know, I'm I'm all for all minorities being treated fairly in the workplace, whether you're an actor or a writer or, you know, a doctor or a teacher or, you know, a, an Uber driver or whatever. But to give the special status to, you know, like actors who, let's be honest, 
usually aren't that smart or educated. I mean, because like, you know, they not to knock on them, but that's not their job. You know, their job is to like stay in shape and look good and, and all that to entrust them with, with our communities, uh, you know, direction in terms of like civil rights. I mean, that that's always seemed a bit off. Um, and I, I think I think that's why I like so many celebrities say dumb shit and, and end up getting in trouble. Yeah, is that true? I feel like this is a bit different now, right? Because like a lot of that aspiration, at least for young folks to become celebrities has moved from maybe Hollywood over to like TikTok and YouTube and other other forms of media that are going to be really fucking influential for uh, Gen, Gen Z and onwards, right? It's just not the same Hollywood folks. Like they all seem kind of, um, you know, like all the shit they've been doing during coronavirus where they like sing different segments of Imagine and shit and then they get all this <laughs> terrible backlash online. Like they seem super out of touch now, right? Yeah. So celebrity has- It's also because- it's also probably because like young people realize there's almost like no breaking into it. It's so entrenched, uh, yeah. That you you might as well not even try anymore. Yeah, kind of pointless. Okay, so uh, so here's one of my issues with media rep in that I, I think it's it's caused this. Right now we're in this weird state where it used to be that, um, as I said, the the representation you see on screen is supposed to spur you as as like the group who has you know issues in society you want to address and want recognized. It's supposed to motivate you, which is why I said like bad media rep that pisses you off is is actually the the best media rep in terms of actually trying to mobilize change. Because the worst thing is, as I said, you see something very flattering, it soothes your ego on screen. You're like, okay, now now mission's accomplished, um, which is I think what people are now pursuing instead of. Uh, using the the media rep as as like a, a stepping tool to to actually change real worlds. Their now their mission now is to just change what's on screen, and then once that thing is is changed on screen, uh, mission is solved. And you know there was the the reason why people you know get upset at casting and all that is because I mean uh, the the implication is that if if the world really were just or society really were just. Um, nobody would need to protest or or sign a petition or anything to see see changes happen on screen. It would just happen organically because that's that's just how right. every level of the system works, and that's why people get upset. But then to just but and that's the really important part because then you don't have to like watchdog the the process. You can just you can actually just trust the system to work, and that's the ideal. We may never get there, but that's the ideal. But then people. That part's really hard. It can take a long time. It's not particularly glamorous and whatever. So now what media rep uh, has become lately is you just go straight for the top and you just try to change, you know, the, the casting or whoever is in charge and 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 impose some kind of like top down effect, I guess. If, if you see uh, somebody um, on screen, it, it's going to ripple effect in society and that might work, but that often takes decades. And I mean, it, it's like it's like if you have this like illness and one of the symptoms is you get really bad skin. And to, the, to them, these people think that the solution is, oh, you know, just, just put on a cream and, and then, you know, you, you'll, you'll look better. When, when in fact, I don't know, maybe something's wrong with your liver or, or your kidney and that's going to kill you. You got to fix that first. But they're just focused on the most superficial aspect. And I don't know if that's a sign that people have just kind of given up and are just looking for the easiest thing because, you know, like Marvel Studios is going to be way more amenable to, like, say, Twitter pressure in a way that, like, uh, the country as a whole isn't or if people mm. really are just they just want entertainment and that's all they really care about i mean what do you guys think <laughs> i'm like which part do i answer first so <laughs> yeah i think that what you're saying is right because it's it's like they're looking for such a quick fix without realizing or like maybe not not really considering that like hollywood uh 
uh, you know, movies, television, uh, especially movies, though, like they've been around for more than 100 years. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you want to just add Asian Americans to it. You know, it, it, it was never it was never poor media representation that gave us a bad rap to begin with. Exactly, know? exactly. Like, it, it, it was said, never like- that. It wasn't it wasn't the media that you needed to overcorrect. It is like it's like foreign policy. It's like all the wars that we that mm. we like uh, <clears throat> all the coups. It's all that. It's like uh, immigration um, policies. All of that is what gave Asians um, that less than, you know, just very unequal secondary citizen like feeling here. Trust me, it wasn't from watching TV or like watching movies. Yeah. Like Breakfast at Tiffany didn't bother me growing up. It's, so it's you're, you're kind of asking like which came first, right? Is it like life imitating art or is it art imitating life? And you're suggesting that like media rep is just art imitating life. We already had fucking bad lives here, right? Because of all the right. historic yeah. shittiness that's gone on, right? Um, uh, like I would say that like a lot of people deride like 16 Candles, like the long duck dong character. Yeah. And they're just like, oh my God, it's so bad. But it's like, that is how they sit. That is how they saw us. <laughs> and maybe that's exactly how they saw us. It's like, like the media is powerful, but it's not so powerful that it can do unless unless like something remarkable happens it, it's very rare that it will do it will force a public to do like a 180 change no of course not it'll never do that yeah usually what it'll do is really reinforce um a long deep existing like social belief mm-hmm. often with and, and that social belief often exists because there there's a motivation there's an incentive for people to believe what they believe and the the media represented let's, let's say like a long dog dong is going to be the most visible thing like if you were an Asian, especially like an Asian dude in, in the 80s, and you felt like, you know, everyone just has, you know, just treats me like shit. But as I said, th- this is why media rep can be good in that that is hard to quantify. You know, you can tell anecdotes. You can say, oh, you know, I experienced this or that. But, you know, it's not going to show up in the economic data. You know, you you suffer like $10,000 worth of, you know, indignity. Um, so you see that. Then you see a movie like that and you can say, you know what? Society believes us so much that it shows up in a movie like this and nobody cares and everyone actually celebrates that movie. That is good media rep in the sense that it will hopefully spur you to realize some things and, and go ch- go change things. But yeah, you're totally right. It's not like everyone loved Asians until this movie came along and totally ruined it. No, it doesn't <laughs> work like that. Therefore, it cannot work the other way. It cannot work that one movie will make like Asians lovable or cool right, or you know, right, whatever right. we're yearning for. Yeah, that corrective course is... Uh not so straightforward and it doesn't happen through a movie as well, right? The, I, mean, I mean, if it happens, it will take decades upon decades. There are some there are some tropes that like, I don't even think needed correcting. Like what? Such as? So what year was 16 Candles? Because we often, we often talk about Long Duck Dong as like for our generation, for people born in the 80s, like that is just the absolute worst representation you can ever come up with, right? 84. 16 Candles was 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the like when i think about like the king of positive asian american representation or just asian representation here in america that's bruce lee who died in 78 like game of death came out what 78 right mhm mhm so like i don't understand how um asian people who were born in the 80s in the us like us can say that there was no asian representation in media growing up if you had a television, then you grew up watching a shitload 
of martial arts movies, kung fu theater, etc. Like every kid wanted to be a ninja for Halloween when we were kids, and they still do. So uh-huh. why are martial arts movies? They're not seen as a serious cultural pursuit. Like I really blame Asian American academics for this. There's so much pride in these genre movies that I don't see in a single Asian American movie ever. Um, the martial arts craze had such an influence on American culture and like it's still there today. And I don't understand why the representation matters crowd doesn't pay any attention to them. You know, like they're like, Oh my God, crazy, crazy rich Asians is like a watershed moment. No, it wasn't. It was already done before you wanted to correct what was done before and it didn't need to be corrected. And like the martial arts, um, you know, the cultural impact it's proven on a global scale that these movies and their art require extreme talent, skill, and athleticism. And it's all the things that like, um, particularly Asian American men are just obsessed with. Like these are, uh, these are like pretty masculine qualities to have. And they've proven to be viable and iconic too. I mean, you think about like some of these movies like Bruce Lee's, how many languages have they been translated into? Sure. But the trouble, you know, I was like, I'm like, maybe what do, do like Asian American dudes of our generation, like they don't want to work out. Like they'd rather (laughs) just be like Michael Sarah because the martial arts Superman is pretty much unattainable. Like, ew, finger trip, fingertip pushups. no, Hitting tree trunks with my forearms, gross. Like there's hot girls and there's hot guys all over these movies and they're fun to watch. And they're also short, so they're really easy to marathon. So in terms of like cinema, martial arts movies, they should never be dismissed. I believe it's Asian Americans and like uh, Asian American academics and the cultural elite that are to blame for these movies being completely dismissed because they're the ones who did all the dismissing. They're the ones who told us that they were tropey and that like they don't count as good representation. And I think it's one of the strongest cultural legacies, like um, one of the biggest stars. And he's like, um, you know, he was big when we were uh, probably like in middle school, like Jet Li, for example, maybe high school, but Jet Li was like a wushu champion by the time he was nine, 12 years old. Like, why is he not hailed as like a cultural hero to Asian Americans? Because it's about white, like white acceptance, right? Like, I, I agree with you on all those points, Eliza, about like the athleticism, the, you know, the art form, right? You have to be pretty fucking, you have to have a hot bod to pull off those moves. But yeah. the the problem is that it was never accepted in that way by Americans and Asian Americans when it comes to representation. But it's not really, that? it's not who really said about it was them? never accepted by white Americans because who's like, who's, who's the big audience for these? It wasn't just, it, they, they weren't brought to America so that Asian Americans could watch them. No, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that white Americans aren't watching. Them. They're definitely watching them. They love them, right? They imitate them and so on. But they, they, when they, when they see those movies and then they see an Asian guy in the street, they don't interpret that person as a, brave hero who is masculine and charismatic. I mean, I don't see every right? white dude as Brad Pitt. No, you don't. But also like Mike... Okay, here, here's what it is. It's a class, It's a social aspiration thing. As as cool as those martial arts people are, it's still like, they're still like, kind of like Fabi Coolies, you know, that yeah. they don't fit into like a, a, you cannot picture like a martial arts god, like Bruce Lee, uh, you know, on, on like, in like mainstream America, killing it or whatever they say. So I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. As, as great as those people are, they're still very distinctly Asian as opposed to Asian American succeeding within like a, 
you know, whatever society or social group they want to they want to fit so in. So then the is, problem is just the Asianness. Well, then just make all white movies then. Oh, uh, you mean Asians? <laughs> like, I mean, if the problem is that the Asian people in these movies are just too Asian, then like, I don't know. Like, I don't. I'm just, I don't know. I think I think that that's the problem that I have with it. Is like, who said that they're too Asian? Right. Right. Okay. So here's here's a here's a prime example of what uh what I'm talking about. There's this movie coming out called Mr. Malcolm's List, mm-hmm. and it's this like British period piece based, I think, on a popular book, mm-hmm. and it's it's been like race bent. So that I think the the main male character is played by a black guy, and I think the two uh, fe- uh female characters are played by Frida Pinto and Constance Wu now. And but it's still within the context of a like a British Regency type of setting. And remember when um, we were all sort of joking a couple of years ago when I think this was, you know, during 2018, when that stupid Asian August thing was going on. And people were demanding that, like, say, Henry Golden get cast in the in the, you know, yet another remake of Pride and Prejudice. And we we're <laughs> like, oh, God, no, this is essentially that. Uh, and I think this is exactly why Asian-Americans don't. He's such certain- a bad actor. And also he's not American. <laughs> This is why certain Asian Americans don't like martial arts movies because what they well, really Harry want Golden's is not American either. Well, well, sure, but let's say he was American. I, I don't think it changes anything. And this is what they really. Well, this is what a lot of Asian Americans really want. They want like a Mr. Malcolm's List type of movie, which is solely within the context of white society. In which case, this is about as white as you get. This is like Jane Austen territory. Yet you you insert the Asian characters as opposed to let's say. Uh, let's say like a like a similar type of thing but it's set in like the tang dynasty in china or uh the mughal dynasty in india then it becomes like too chinese or, or too indian right. that's what actually precisely what they don't want and that's the equivalent of the martial arts movie martial arts movie is like the the romance set in like mughal dynasty india it, it's that's not what they want they want mr malcolm's list you are like proving my whole point that the whole <laughs> problem with asian american art is asian americans yeah, I mean, like they're they're it's there's them some, like, themselves. Up they there. have yeah. shitty taste. They have really shitty taste and shitty desires, and it comes out in the art because it's like, oh my god, like Asian Americans are so desperate to be white, and then it's like everyone argues, oh no, no we're not trying to be white, and then our, the art that we put out just screams, we want to be white so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah look, yeah, look at your actions, not your words, right? Right. You know. Or like, we want more Asian Americans. Uh, no, not him. Let's get Harry Gold. Go- What's his name? Harry Golding? Not Henry American. Golding. Not American. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was like, I think somebody tweeted this they recently. They just like him because he has a British accent. Well, yeah. I mean, that 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 is undeniable. Um, yes, I think somebody tweeted this recently. It's something about how the obsession with relatability is destroying art right now. And I think that's exactly w- what Asian American... Uh, well, like media rep in general is suffering from. It's, it's not even relatable. It's not, it's not only That's relatability. It's not relatable. It's 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 not. It's what they want to be able to relate to. So, like, no, no, exactly, they exactly. want to be able to relate to, like, uh, I don't know, nineteenth-century uh, Jane Austen novels with like. Asian people with British accents, like that's what they want to be able to relate to, which is really white aspiring. And so a, like, just yeah, fucking I say that like, you wish you were too, right? white and like the whiter the Asians are in the movies, the more you can relate to them. Right, right. It's uh, it's like relate relatability to a certain type of mindset. And they, they do relate because, you know, what? I actually think relatability, it would be good if it were if it were more honest with itself, because, you know, I, I think I think minorities do grow, uh, grow up with some fucked up things and it would actually help to see that 
just like laid out, examined in in the media. You know, whatever, let's say like racial insecurities you had as a kid, just like be open about it. And I think that would actually help everyone. But yeah, it's not that kind of relatability. It's that it's that uh, you know self esteem boosting type of relatability where you know race kind of matters, but but it doesn't because you know in the end we're all acceptable. So much so that you can f- slot us into like you know a co- colonial England in the you know early eighteen hundreds and we'll fit right in. That's such bullshit. Do, do you think we talked about the three of us <laughs> talked about um, never have I ever? Do you think that that was a good TV show for relatability? Oh, uh, I, th- I I think it did some good things. I thought it, it tackled the whole like race and culture thing more so than others. Um, but like in the end, it, it was still a lot of, you know, I, I think a lot of like the, that wish fulfillment element mm-hmm. was in it a lot, which I think, I, I just want to see like a darker one. Apparently they're remaking uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, for HBO, I believe, in an animated series, which I think is going to be much more faithful to the book. Yeah. That I'm, I'm very excited to see because that book, I don't know if you guys have read it, uh, can get pretty dark. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that's I the it. kind of media rep and you know exploration of Asian American youth that I want to see and, and not this um, you know, retread of you know white idealized suburban upbringings. Wait, why is... Um, can somebody remind me why Eddie Huang is supposed to be like God, I hate this word. Problematic. Um, I, I think it's a. What I think he it? just like talks a lot like a black person. Um, he he says. Th- I, I think he like comments on women's appearances a lot. Um, yeah, you know th- things like that. That I, I don't think you can point to one bad thing. So he but, acts like an American, but not a white aspiring one. When that's the problem. Maybe <laughs> I think that, I don't know if it was his book, but I remember like one of the earliest moments I kind of had some sort of like racial awareness years back was hearing him on a uh, interview where he described Asian Americans as like either being white Asians or black Asians. And he fit kind of squarely into the black Asians camp. Right. And maybe that's yeah, like, for sure. I mean, what he's saying it. isn't wrong. Like he's, yeah, uh, he's it, like a generation. What is he like? How old is he? He's a little bit older than us. Right. Yeah. I think he was like born in the late seventies or very early eighties. Probably 40 or then something. He's right. I mean, he's born in a really like black, white America mm-hmm. and like born in like Florida, right? I think he was born in D.C., but he grew up mostly in Florida. I mean, I don't I don't have a problem. I don't even disagree with what he's saying. Like, I think that he's I think it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the whole like cancel Eddie Huang thing, uh, it peaked a bit too early. If it happened now, it might gain more traction. But Eddie Huang was much more popular, like almost 10 years ago. And there were there were some attempts to call him out on some things, but uh, you know the whole cancel culture thing wasn't quite as strong uh, back then. Did you then, hear that so. recently that he's trying to cancel David Chang? <laughs> Wait, why? What for? Okay, I don't, I don't want to get into this like a Twitter drama here, but uh, t- please tell us what the hell okay, happened Okay, we, we don't have to go into it, but David Chang, Momofuku, is coming up with um, a Logan Ma, like, you know, the, the uh, chili crisp, like, bean... Uh, oh, yeah, I recently bought that for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, so he's coming uh, out with, like, a, you know, a $50 version of it or whatever. And I think Eddie Wang was, uh, who's Chinese, is calling him out on it. So, and they actually they did a. This is the thing that's kind of neat is that the two of them actually had a podcast on David Chang's podcast to talk through it. Um, oh, okay. Well, I haven't listened yet, but I, well, the, I think that's almost the opposite of canceling, right? If you're if you're willing to sit down with someone and talk with them, that's like the the opposite. Yeah, but he was trying um, to. He was Eddie Wang was trying to get David Chang on the like the food cultural appropriation thing. You know, another mm-hmm. fun, fun, shallow, but p- potentially deep topic for Asian Americans um, related to all this. Oh, yeah. We, we got a whole pod that we got to do about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it, it fits into this, right? It's this question of like, does this shit matter anymore? 
to get back get us back on track post COVID, right? Like, what does this yeah. stuff look like now post COVID? We should talk about that. Does anyone else just call the Laogama sauce the John Cena sauce? That's that's how <laughs> I first learned of it uh, after that viral video of him speaking Chinese. I was impressed. It is really good. I was impressed. Okay, I I think um uh, unless you know anyone can jump in, but I also don't want to co- only be negative. I, I think we can also talk about what. What should media rep be um, in, in a positive sense? Um, any, anybody want to take a stab at it? So, I mean, Liza, you and I were talking a bit about um, this idea that like maybe we, actually, to your point earlier about Asian Americans being bad at making movies, like maybe we should just look more to Asian Asian movies. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what I'm pushing for constantly is to watch Asian movies. Like one thing that like, okay, for movie lovers, especially so our favorite directors, you know, the, the, um, they, what do they watch? They watch a lot of international films. Like they Mm -hmm. watch a lot of Japanese and Korean movies and they watch a lot of like French movies and, um, Italian movies. And like that, that's like, I think that that's the right thing to do. And for Asian movies, they can be as Asian as they want without the baggage. They can be villains without the baggage. They can be like ugly and poor without the baggage attached to it. Asian Americans just don't have that. They can't do it. So their representation, their representation, and like the, the like the whole, all the content, it just always veers towards sucking. Um, I mean, either that or just stop making Asian American movies with other races in it. You know, white people and black people do this stuff all the time. Why do Asian American movies need to be so multiracial and diverse? Yeah, lots of us Asians only hang out with other Asians. Like. Why can't our screen counterparts do the same thing? Yeah. Like a lot of us have Asian only social circles and it's like, you don't see that on screen ever. Better luck tomorrow. Great movie. Because then it veers towards, yeah, that's like the one, because then it veers towards like, oh, it's too Asian. You know? right, and right, I can't right. tell if it's like, if Asian people are just afraid of that kind of Asian-ness while living in America, or if uh, movie studios don't think it's going to be profitable enough to show like, well, actually, they did do an all Asian cast. I guess it was Crazy Rich Asians, but they sucked. So, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Liza, you often talk about politics and movies, and I, I think the thing that hinders Asian Americans is we always have like our eyes always too geared on on like like repairing the past image, and which is yeah. which is a blatantly political move. And I think that's why a lot of these movies feel fake in, in the same way. It's like propaganda. It's like they're trying to further this uh, image that Asian Americans want to have of ourselves um, projected upon societies that other people- is like, it's it's so fake. And um, I guess fake isn't the right word because I don't care about fake. I mean- It's like cringy. It's I mean, like- you're talking to someone whose favorite movies are some of the most historically inaccurate ever. <laughs> and also like just beyond the realm of political correctness. So I guess not fake, but um, yeah, it's like an overcorrection. It's like, re- it's, it's just, it's not- is it like, is it not taken seriously because it's kind of patronizing? Is it not taken seriously because it's kind yeah, of cringy? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, think that, I think that's the right word I'm looking for is patronizing. Yeah. Is that, that's what it feels like. And it's like, man, my, my, like my self-esteem wasn't that bad, that badly damaged. Like, who is this for? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a lot of very uh, damaged people. I just wanted to there, see some Asian on Americans on screen. Media. You don't need to help. You don't need to like, this isn't my therapy. This isn't like, take your but medicine. Yeah, but like so many people wanted to be their therapy, right? And and they're like, you know, that time in like fifth grade when, you know, so-and-so pushed me or didn't invite me to that birthday party. And, and that's what this is all about. And mm-hmm. actually, hell, if they were honest about that, that would actually be interesting. But instead, 
Um, they want to address that by creating this make-believe world where, as I said, uh, I don't know, the, the like the Asian kid is suddenly just like the po- most popular kid or what, whatever. Because as I said, I would appreciate some some honesty that actually dealt with what what pe- people go through yeah. really because it's not always going to be flattering, which I think is good. But of course that would require some kind of like artistic integrity, which I don't think a lot of these people have. I think they're, they're mainly in the business of projecting fantasy, which is what most of Hollywood is. And some would argue, yeah, Asian Americans should, should have their, our share of that. But it's like, um, it, it, on the whole, it doesn't make for good things. It's not good when white people do it and it's not good when minorities do it. If I had to like list off the top of my head, like um, some examples where there was positive Asian American representation in movies, I guess... Um, like uh, Steven Yeun and Sorry to Bother You. Do you remember the activist guy? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why, say, can, I can like you, him. Can you say more about that? Like, why was why was that character good rep? Like, what was good about his character in Sorry, Sorry to Bother You? No hang-ups? No hang-ups? I don't no, know. no baggage? Like, confident guy, you know? Um, I didn't feel like he was trying to correct anything or overcorrect anything or satisfy any kind of, like... I don't know any like damaged. Um, was there something about his, any, his, any like, kind of like emotional damage that like Asian Americans collectively have had to endure? I didn't feel like there was any of that. Was there something about him having like political convictions as like a labor organizer that made him an interesting? I mean, maybe that's something that I can, that, that I like. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that. <laughs> I like those kinds of guys. So I thought that was cool because you don't. I you like just don't him fucking and I like his right? character. Like, I like those Tessa kinds Thompson of people. In the movie, though. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> You know who else has um I've always like I've always enjoyed seeing um have you guys ever seen like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Unfortunately no. I mean oh. obviously one of the most famous movies out there but I've never seen it. Well, there's the the actor that plays like he plays Genghis Khan in every single movie. Okay. Do you, mean but John do you Wayne? remember when he no, goes to the mall and he fucks everything up? <laughs> Did any of you see this no, movie? No, I didn't see that movie. No. Oh, <laughs> so damn I'm talking it, to nobody it, here. I'm talking to the, the audience. I'm talking to the audience. When the Genghis Khan character goes to the mall and fucks everything up. Like, I don't know. I, I enjoy that. That's funny. Yeah. A movie like Searching, I thought, was was a pretty good example of, of doing this right in that it was, it, was, uh, it was a very Asian movie in that almost everybody was Asian. And there was a lot of just like things that I think naturally came about the story because they were Asian, but it was never, it didn't feel like wish fulfillment. It didn't feel like pandering to any audience. I mean, what you, what did you guys think of that movie? Would that movie have been, I didn't see it. I enjoyed it. Wait, which one is it? Burning or searching? searching. Which one is this? Oh, searching. no, this is very different. Uh, searching was the one with John Cho where he loses his, where his daughter gets kidnapped. And he's oh, trying I to, saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it's fine. I like that movie too. It's okay. Yeah, and, I, and I think it's indicting. It's of, not, of like it's a, not bad representation, but I mean, it's like, um, yeah, it's the character's fine. Yeah, and and I John think John Cho in- doesn't really make any bad choices. I right, feel like right. he's old enough that like um, he's seen shit. Yeah, I feel like he's old enough that the kind of so so men in Hollywood, um, and I'll keep this short so I don't go off on a tangent. But men in Hollywood, once they pass that thirty-five mark, that's when they start to get the really juicy like. Um, you know, the really meaty roles mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to just being like eye candy or like a very one dimensional, like hero character. Mm-hmm. And John Cho has made it to past that point. So he's, he's now playing, you know, he, he's, he plays the character with that carries all the emotional weight in the movie. Yeah. And I think it's an indictment of the whole Asian American media rep crowd that that movie did not 
I mean, people liked it a lot, but it's not like the movie that, that, that you know, made them cry or, or whatever, because it wasn't a wish fulfillment type of movie. Did it come it out did. in Asian August too? It came out like in September. I think it was around same that season, time. Same it was season. A, yeah, it, it was a sleeper hit. So it got it got kind of grouped in there. But it, after, it was always... After this podcast, I'm never saying Asian August ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel dirty just saying it. It is. It's a... <laughs> it doesn't even sound good, right? It's like... <laughs> it, it's not even, a, I think, a true alliteration because it's like A is not the same sound as ah. Oh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> okay, what about um, what about the Fast and the Furious movies? Um, I think that's a curious. I, I like curious I like those mix. movies. I'm not gonna lie to you, and like I've never, I've always, I've always thought that the Asian representation in those movies was fine. Yeah, I've not seen enough uh to to comment on it. Um. Mm-hmm. So no, there's like there's like nine of them. Yeah, there's there's too many of them to to really to really see. I think like, I've the, never the seen last Tokyo Drift, one, for example. Fast, uh, what was it Fast Nine, Fast Furious Nine? It was supposed to come out in May, and that's one of the movies that just um never came out this year at all. Yeah, I wonder when they're just gonna fuse uh you know Fast and Furious with Transformers because I mean isn't that what they do anyway? Practically, they're like fighting with their cars, like punching each other with. With with their bumpers and stuff, might as well just turn them into actual robots and just just uh, do a crossover. I highly advise you watch a Fast and the Furious movie before you say that again. <laughs> <laughs> but don't they don't they go like skydiving in their cars? Yeah, Isn't that a famous like, scene from they one do of, a one lot of, of fa- ridiculous things? Yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. why is it so ridiculous for them the cars to come alive and actually fight each other? But like, so it'd be good Transformers, like um, you know the Transformers <laughs> that we all loved in the eighties, uh, or you know the cartoons of the eighties that, that we saw, like. But, you know, we, we all love them and, you know, those movies are terrible. So, uh, yeah, so, so get on that Fast and the Furious. Eventually, they're going to run out of things to, like, shoot cars out of. <laughs> um, so, like, so Hollywood is in a really weird place right now. Even before the pandemic, there was very little, like, mid-budget dramas, genre movies being made. Everything had to be a blockbuster Um I think that Asian media rep would fare much better if Hollywood wasn't so obsessed with making blockbusters. Like in the days of mid-budget dramas, for example, and genre movies, and back when they only needed a few summer tent poles to hold the whole thing together, there were a lot of movie stars made. Um, there were a lot of movies with like, you know, just real content, um, real emotions, like actual good acting was... Um, good acting and good writing were what mattered. And I keep saying that there's like no movie stars anymore. So with Hollywood so afraid of taking risks, I think we're going to have very few parts available. We're going to have less parts available because to to Hollywood, Asian stars just aren't bankable to them. Um, and we know that diversity doesn't mean Asian people to them, Right. Yeah, for sure. It, it Actually, means, it means trans a- people. It means black people. It means gay people. It means um, uh, it means like interracial couples, but with white people. Like that's right, diversity. Right. Yeah. Asians are not diverse. You know, Eliza, you, you had a great point. I, I don't know. We were just like talking a few weeks ago, but you you talked about how the the rise of like the tentpole is really just a reversion to the studio system. Yeah, which, it is. Um, it is. Which I, I would say that it's it's not that Asian stars. Are bankable. I would say that it's more like Asian intellectual property is not bankable. Like you cannot 
nobody's going to create a franchise of all Asian people. You know, it's more likely that you had this like once in a generation type of Asian movie star come about rather than, let's say, like an all Asian type of franchise. Because even like Shang-Chi is only about like one or two Asians. It's not, you know, the whole cast is not Asian. So now when it's no, no longer about finding that one man or woman to carry yeah, movie, I, but instead I mean, finding I, like, an entire universe. I would say Ipman, Ipman, but like, but people don't count martial arts movies as good representation. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that on this topic, then, like COVID has set up the environment for movie making in the next, let's say, couple of years to be actually better for for Asian movies? Because, like, one, like all the American studios are kind of fucked. Like, they can't really go out and film big blockbusters because <laughs> you can't get that many people together. You can't, you know, you can't even bring together large studios of people doing special effects. So, like, that puts a you know, a bit of a, a stopper on those big uh, action movies. And then Asia is also doing well, right, in terms of keeping the pandemic under control. So, like, I can see their studios spinning up. And maybe because that pipeline of American movies are going to slow down, people might look elsewhere, right? Especially when they say, oh, look, like, Parasite was successful. Maybe I can watch more Korean films. Mm-hmm. So is that, aren't we, like, I would hope so. in a better spot now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I would like that to be the case. I, th- I think what might happen is I, th- I think what happened I don't want to go into music but I think what happened with BTS ultimately is that people realized that American music was kind of shit uh, mm-hmm. so that uh, people just got bored of the same stuff and I think I think that's what will happen with movies it's already happened you know well it's, it's now trendy to uh, to you know to crap on American films and, and say you know the best stuff's coming out of Korea or right, you know, right. Japan or something yeah, like I'm that yeah I'm perfectly so- fine with that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I-, I think that's a great way to, to wrap up this segment I think bottom line my point is Asian American media, right? If you want to be good, be more honest. I think Liza, your point is, uh, and I think Philip's point also is, you know, don't be afraid to look to Asia uh, as like inspiration, uh, especially if you're dealing with looking to media rep as, as some kind of like self therapy, or you're an aspiring filmmaker yourself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, look to Asia. You know, I think a lot of Asian American artists are just like seething with anger, and I feel like they're For not sure. allowed to just let it out. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Could you? I, I mean, I I do not envy them. Like I, I, I you know, I, I, as soon as I get start getting angry at at what some dumb shit they do, then then I try to imagine like what the you know the even like her, terrible environments they must be in, how stifling it must be. I'm like, yeah. So for a second, I feel something. Yeah, that's the thing. The the baggage is not a bad thing. It's just that the the folks who've been allowed to make movies with you know with right. their baggage have right. done a shit job with them. They make stuff like maybe Crazy Rich Asians, right? But there's probably great stories in that baggage to unleash, but no one's done anything good with it yet. So. This, yeah, for sure. That's the I thing. really think I, that they should just be allowed to let it out. Like, yeah. who cares if yes, it's politically please. correct? Honesty, um, honesty, key, honesty. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess they're afraid that cancel culture is just out there waiting for them if they don't have like a hundred percent accuracy. I think they're also afraid of what they would say and what they actually uh, believe in, which probably would not jive with that whole, you know, diversity white liberal culture that is all about, you know. Putting a putting a nice face on on kind of like white dominance, um, and that I, I is think, the cultural elite right there. Exactly, it's yeah. them. It is that woke liberal crowd that, like, you know, everyone, all of us hate them. <laughs> right, but but they don't. We don't have like you know. Um, they have so much power when it comes to controlling the narrative of the media that if you ever step up to them, they will stomp you out so fast. And, and they know all the right words to call you, you know, mm-hmm. like um, if you're too pro-Asian, they're going to call you like anti-black or something. Right, right. Yeah. Still a minefield out there. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's what we're here for, right? To, to 
clear those minds. Hopefully not with our own bodies, but... (laughs) (laughs) So listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this first ever episode of Unverified Accounts. We'll be having a new episode every week. So tune in next time and have a great day or night or morning or whenever you're listening to this. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.